0: to turn in your Bibles to uh, Philippians chapter 4. We'll begin reading at verse 10. That's on page 982 of your pew Bibles, uh, smaller pew Bibles. Uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. We'll be reading through the 13th verse. Uh, Two more sermons on Philippians and another prayer uh, concern, a prayer need. I'm thankful for all the work that our deacons and elders do uh, here at Hope Church, cleaning up after a truck hits our sign and taking care of fallen branches. But uh, pray for the uh, four elders; uh, their names are there in the bulletin. Who will be uh, filling the pulpit, preaching God's word in the in the weeks ahead? And uh, pray that they would know God's strength and guidance as they faithfully. Uh, proclaim the truth of the gospel. Uh, But hear God's word. Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Amen to this reading of God's holy and divinely inspired word, inerrant, infallible, our only rule of faith and practice. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Lord, I I thank you for the truth of your word. Lord, in a world that is confused, misguided, even in opposition uh, to your truth, Father, your true truth. Lord, thank you that you sanctify us by your truth, that your word is indeed truth, life-giving truth, loving truth. Lord, may we always be students of your word, but Lord, may we as well. Submit in gladness and gratitude uh, to the truth of your word. All to the glory of Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. You know, think back on the countless things that we have learned over the years. You know, as babies, we slowly uh, but surely learn how to talk and walk you know, begins with babbling and crawling, and then before you know it, you know, the, these babies are talking and walking. You know, as teenagers, caring parents, caring adults help us learn how to drive. Our teachers prompt us to learn English and history, mathematics and science. As Christians, our parents, preachers, Sunday school teachers, help us learn how to pray, study the truth of God's word, and to worship the one true and triune God who loves us in Christ. You know, turn there to Philippians chapter four if you're not there already. You know, four short verses, and each one of them is, is rich, but you know, our main focus will be on Philippians chapter four verse twelve. We read, "For I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. Um, Christian contentment you know is not that nugget of gold that the Lord drops into our lap in one fell swoop. You know, Scripture calls us to learn contentment. And here as we go through these verses together, this uh, rich portion of Scripture, here we see that the Lord enables Christians to learn gospel contentment in every circumstance. Well, what must Christians then learn about gospel contentment? It starts off with the commencement of contentment there, verse 10, then the completeness of contentment, verses 11 and 12, and then finally verse 13, a Christ-centered contentment. We begin, though, with that commencement of contentment in the Lord. You, You know, and I'm Preached it before, it, it's vital to understand any verse or portion of Scripture in context. So if we go back to Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 to 9, read them for us Philippians 4, verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. You know, scripture here calls us to practice God's peace and presence And all of life. But you see there in in verse 8 that that word learned again. What you have learned. And we'll see that word learned again there in Philippians 4 verse 12. You know, God's word calls believers, every believer, to live out all that they are learning as followers of Christ. Now Philippians 4 verse 10. Paul moves from peace to praise. He, he begins here. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. You know that that's a a theme here in Philippians. Joy, rejoicing in the Lord. We heard it in Philippians chapter one, verse eighteen. Philippians 1, 18. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice and. Move ahead to Philippians 3, verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice. That actually is a command. Rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Rejoice in the Lord. You know, So often we, we think, well, I don't have anything to rejoice about. But... Here God's word says rejoice in the Lord. The Lord is in you. You're in the living union with Christ. Rejoice in the Lord. And then it adds a word, rejoice in the Lord greatly. You know, not just a, yeah, I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. I'm done rejoicing. You know, rejoice in the Lord greatly. We could almost call it mega rejoicing. Or you know, you go to the drive-in and they for food and they say, Do you want to supersize this? Well, this is supersized rejoicing in the Lord. Matthew Henry helps us here. He writes, it is the character and temper of sincere Christians to rejoice in Christ Jesus. The more we take of the comfort of our religion, the more closely. We shall cleave to it, the more we rejoice in Christ, the more willing we shall be to do and suffer for him, and the less danger we shall be in of being drawn away from him. You know, rejoicing in the Lord. It's it's a theme you see not only here and in uh, Philippians four verse ten, but it's throughout Scripture. I'll give you an Old Testament witness to it. Nehemiah chapter eight verse ten. Nehemiah chapter eight verse ten. And then he said to them, "Go on your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready for this day." is holy to our Lord, and do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. You know, rejoicing in the Lord. You know, why is the Apostle Paul rejoicing here? Excuse me. Look again at, at Philippians 4, verse 10. You have revived your concern for me. Later on, that verse I read for the offertory, <clears throat> we learned that Epaphroditus had brought a gift, a, a financial gift, a sizable financial gift uh, to, to the Apostle Paul, who is in prison in Rome as he's writing this letter to the Philippian church, and so he, he's thanking the Lord. Rejoicing in the Lord that this church, his brothers and sisters in Christ, have revived their concerns for him. Paul rejoices rather than just giving thanks here. You know, he rejoices that their concern has been revived, that their concern, uh, the word there speaks of blossoming again. You know, that which you think is dead, you know, comes back to life. He thanks his brothers and sisters in Christ at Philippi for their timely and thoughtful gift of financial support. And there's a lesson there for us. It's vital for churches not only to support themselves, but scripture calls us to support gospel missions all around the world. Alec Motier writes, A spirit of generosity, a truly Christian spirit, prevailed among them. Again, verse 10, you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. It it seems that circumstances arose, financial circumstances, military, political, maybe it was the weather, traveling to to Rome, but they did not have opportunity uh, to uh, show their care concern for their brother in Christ. No, but their their concern was revived. How was their concern revived? It was a work of God's word, a work of God's holy spirit by the grace of God and for the glory of God. and so the, the takeaway for us here is this: may we as individual Christians and as a, a church family purposefully pray for God's work of, of revival. You know, may He commence his work of contentment in us. Contentment in the Lord Jesus Christ. So the first step here in learning contentment is that commencement. But now verses eleven and twelve, they're they're the, the meat, the heart of these Uh, four verses, there's a completeness of contentment in the Lord. You know, the Apostle Paul sends this thank you note to the Philippian churches. The best way of understanding it, Epaphroditus came with this gift, and when Epaphroditus uh, returned to Philippi, he brought this letter back with him uh, to this generous church. You know, but but take a close look there. Verse 11, not that I am speaking of being in need. You know, Paul isn't trying to play with their emotions. You know, sometimes you get a, a thank you gift, a thank you note, sometimes from Christian ministries. You know, and they say, thank you for your gift, but we have these additional needs. Why don't you consider another gift? Uh, uh, you know, and, and Paul is, is Closing that door, you know, not that I am speaking of being in need, I'm grateful for this gift, but then he goes on there, you know, but or for, I have learned in whatever situation, circumstance, to be content. As Christians, we must learn to be content. You know, contentment does not immediately saturate our lives when we come to faith in Christ. I accepted Christ when I was, whatever, 8, 12, 20 years old, and I've been content ever since then. No. You know, we're always learning to be content. Contentment, you know, in this particular word in the Greek, is a word only used Here. So it's sometimes difficult to to find, but uh, to uh, take take a scriptural stab at it. Contentment is a true satisfaction in our Savior, a peace about our present circumstances because of our faith in an unchangeable Lord whose steadfast love endures forever. Contentment. You know, even when you're in a fiery furnace, contentment, even if you're in a Roman prison, contentment, even if you're grieving, you know, contentment even in painful struggles of the faith. It's a contentment in Christ that transcends our circumstances. You know, that's the difference here between Christian contentment in the world's understanding. The world would say, I'm content in these circumstances, or as they say, under the circumstances. You know, but, but Christian contentment transcends our circumstances. Warren Wearsby has this great quote Contentment is not an escape from the battle, but rather an abiding peace and confidence in the midst of the battle. It's good enough to read twice. Contentment is not an escape from the battle, but rather an abiding peace and confidence in the midst of the battle. You know, the Lord help, hopefully, gladly, graciously, Helps us to learn contentment so that we might better understand contentment. Contrast contentment with discontentment. And you clearly see that in the Bible. I'll give you a few examples. Just from the Old Testament, it's there in the New Testament. Israel. Grumbling for meat in the wilderness, even though God had graciously provided manna six days and double amount on the sixth day, so they would have enough for the seventh day. You know, then in the next chapter, Exodus 17, they're grumbling again about an apparent lack of water. You know, if you skip ahead to Numbers, next they express their fearful discontentment with the majority report of the spies. Remember, they sent twelve spies into the land, and uh, we read this um, Numbers chapter. Well, let me begin with Numbers thirteen thirty-two, four or five verses here. So, Numbers chapter. 13 verse 32, so they brought, that is the spies, to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone to spy out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim, and we seem to ourselves like grasshoppers. And so we seemed to them. Then all the congregation, these are the Israelites, then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night, and all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land? To fall by the sword, our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would not it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. That's discontentment. But unless we think, well, that's just Israel. You know that? You don't have to raise your hand. But uh, we too are guilty of discontentment. We forget God's faithfulness, His goodness, His provision for us. You know, our sinful default mode as Christians is to fall into discontentment. You know, one day we, we seem to be content, and then something happens the next day it rains, we slip get a a bad stock market report or see the the morning Fox News, and and all of a sudden we're discontent. And discontentment leads to discord in families, marriages, churches, leads to division. You know, we too grumble against our gracious God. Okay, back to Philippians chapter 4, verse 11 Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation. You know, hear that again. In whatever situation, every circumstance, I am to be content. And then he goes into specifics there. Verse 12, I know how to be brought low or to be abased. Humiliated. Uh, That same truth is back in Philippians chapter 2, verse 8, speaking of Christ, that great Christological statement, Philippians chapter 2. We read just one verse, Philippians 2 8, and being found in human form, he humbled himself. We could say he abased himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Here the apostle Paul says, "I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everything's coming up roses. He's flourishing in the faith, smooth sailing, no potholes in the highway of life. And every and every circumstance, there in verse eleven, I have learned the secret." Mystery, but it's a mystery that God reveals, graciously reveals to us, of facing plenty and hunger, abundance, and need. You know, I have learned the secret. You know, there, there's a learning curve here. You know, to learn by providential trials and tribulations. You know, there's the hard part. We all say, Lord, make me content. And we think he'll just snap his fingers and instantly we'll be content. You know, but the Lord teaches us contentment through painful trials and tribulations, realizing that our contentment should never rest on the passing, perishable things of this world. Contentment only comes through faith in Christ. Facing plenty and hunger and abundance and need, D.A. Carson writes, first, the secret of contentment is not normally learned in posh circumstances or in deprived circumstances, but in exposure to both. It's sort of like tempering a, a metal. You know, you, you, you get it red hot, and then what do they do? They, they quench it, you know, in, in the cold water. It steams, and then they heat it up again. You know, and, and what happens to the metal? It, it grows stronger. You know, and, and that's what the Lord is doing with us. You know, Elijah in the wilderness. You know, Naomi. You know, read read the last chapter of well, let me read a couple of verses there. Can't resist. You know, after everything that Naomi has been through, she wanted to be called bitter. You know, but here's here's the the rest of the story. Numbers chapter or Ruth chapter four, verse fourteen. This is after Boaz has taken Ruth as his wife, and um, Ruth bore a son. Ruth, chapter 4, verse 14. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel, he shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. And then this picture of contentment, Ruth 4, verse 16, Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. I mean, you you can almost picture the contentment there on her face. But but what came before that contentment? You know, losing her husband, two sons, a foreigner, struggling uh, to, to make a living, and yet the Lord taught her contentment. She had learned contentment. The older you get, the more you think back on uh, occasions. Back in 1991, um, uh, my seminary professor and a dear brother in Christ, Dr. William Hogan, assigned a book uh, to us. The class was uh, The Practice of Godliness. And the book he assigned to us, and I would commend it to you for your reading is the rare jewel of Christian contentment. It was written by Jeremiah Burroughs, a Puritan pastor, preacher, back in 1648, and he was a student at Cambridge University, and and the government in that day said, well, to to preach the word, you've got to be licensed, and and so Jeremiah Burroughs became what was called a nonconformist, Our men's study at Hope Church read this classic Christian work in the fall of 2017. But here are four scriptural lessons uh, from Jeremiah Burroughs' book about contentment. There there are four longer quotes. I can uh, post these later or send them out in the email. But first one, that to be well-skilled in the mystery of Christian contentment is the duty Glory and excellence of a Christian. Number two, Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. You know, those are two quotes from the same page, actually almost at the start of the book, but then skipping ahead, and this one hits me hard. God is contented. He is in eternal contentment in himself. Now if you have God as your portion, why should you not be contented with him alone? In other words, you know, if we call God our God, our Savior, and he's content, and we're his children, ought we not to be content, as God is in content. And then the last one. Uh, There is an ark. Think of Noah's ark. There is an ark that you may come into, and no men, could add women and children, no men in the world may live such comfortable, cheerful, and contented lives as the saints of God. Oh, that we had learned this lesson. You know, in other words, I'll put it in my, my paraphrase is, only Christians know true contentment, lasting contentment, loving contentment. In every circumstance of life, the, the world will never know, the lost world will never know contentment. You know, that, that's good for us, but I believe it's a, it ought to be a part of our witness of faith, you know, that when the stock market falls or something happens in the news or hurricane threats, you know, we ought not to be wringing our hands and fretting. No, we're, we're content, not that we're passive, you know but we're, we're resting in the providence of God, resting in the goodness and grace of God, who was sitting upon the throne, even when his own son was nailed to the cross for our sins. Contentment in every circumstance and crisis of life, contentment in Christ. So the commencement of contentment, the completeness of contentment in the Lord. Finally, Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. And uh, before we dig into it, I believe this is one of those verses that Christians are guilty of and others are just yanking it out of context here. Remember everything about trials, tribulations, and now we read Philippians 4, verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, Philippians 4, verse 13 does not teach that every Christian is a spiritual superhero. You know, When you're a Christian, you won't be able to leap tall buildings in a single bound faster than a speeding bullet. I know I'm dating myself. That was Superman. Uh, back in the day, it's not a prosperity gospel verse. You know, it, it's a verse that's teaching us about contentment. I can do all things. I can learn contentment through Christ who strengthens me. The uh, memory popped up this morning. Had a, a woman in the last church, Ruth Farr, now home in glory, Was a widow, had been a widow for many years, and had one daughter who caused her a lot of anxiety. Uh, Many health problems, often visited her in the hospital, but uh, she taught me a way to remember this verse. Ten fingers, you can do this at home. Ten fingers, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Sometimes I'd walk into a room there in the hospital, and that she, I could see her fingers moving, and she was saying that verse to herself. I can do all things. I can be abased, you know, back to Verse 12, I can be abased, abound, plenty, hunger, abundance, and need through him who strengthens me, through Christ who strengthens, present tense, who keeps on strengthening me every day. When, when, I, when I'm feeling... Discontent, discouraged, depressed, overwhelmed by the circumstances of life. You know, remember, you know, it's Christ who strengthens me. It's Christ who enables me to learn to be content in him. Gordon Fee puts it this way. He has learned the secret of being content because of the enabling power of Christ. You know, it's not, well, if I cram for this test, if I study hard, then I can learn to be content. No, it's, it's Christ who strengthens me, who enables me, empowers me uh, to be content. <coughs> Excuse me. I'll hear these words from a hymn that we sing here at Hope Church didn't sing it this morning, but uh, the hymn is Beneath the Cross of Jesus. And the last verse, verse 3 goes, reads as follows. It was a hymn written by Elizabeth C. Clephane back in 1870, 1868. She was uh, the daughter of a sheriff in Scotland uh, near Edinburgh, known for this hymn and another hymn. But hear this verse. I take, O cross, thy shadow for my abiding place. I ask no other sunshine than the sunshine of his face. And then hear this. Content, content to let the world go by, to know no gain or loss. My sinful self, my only shame, my glory, all the cross. You know, there's contentment. May the Lord himself graciously cause each one of us to learn, to keep on learning what it means to be genuinely content in Christ, our gracious Savior. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, forgive us for our discontentment, my discontentment, Lord, whatever it might be. But Lord, we thank you that your word reassures us, reminds us, calls us to learn to be content. Content in Christ. Christ who strengthens us. Christ who saves us. Christ who secures our salvation. Lord, we pray. For, for this, our church, and for each one of us, that we may be bearing witness to our contentment in Christ, even this week, so that we might have opportunity to, to share that good news of salvation in Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen. Amen.